Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We are still social distancing. We are recording this over Skype, so I apologize in advance for any degradation in our usual sparkling sound quality. Uh, But I was actually pretty pleased with how last week's podcast with Matt Harris and Justin Turner turned out. So if you missed that episode, I highly encourage you to give it a listen. Going to do things just a little bit differently this week. I have Antonio Gianola from Houston Wine Merchant coming up in a little bit. Uh, But first, we're going to do two parts of the news of the week. Rebecca Masson from Fluff Bake Bar is going to come on and talk about her reopening. And then Adam Brackman from Axelrad is going to come on and talk about some of the provisions in the CARES Act that should benefit small business owners, particularly restaurateurs. And then Becky and I will talk about uh, some of the places that we have been ordering from in our restaurants of the week. So, Rebecca Masson, welcome back to the show. How are you? Well, like I say, I'm living the dream. It's been a little while since you were on the show. We had you on right when you announced your big move from Midtown to the Heights. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and then you got sort of, uh, sort of buried in the details of moving. I, so, I, I, yeah, I kind of went radio silence, too. So. Yeah. All right. So you opened a couple of weeks ago, or a week and a half ago, I guess. Uh, yeah, last Saturday, so nine days ago. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, yeah. I <sighs> mean, it seems quixotic, maybe, to open in the middle of a global pandemic, but tell me tell me about <laughs> why why you decided not to wait. Well, you know, I mean... Oh, by the way, let me say, I- let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one is the reopening of Fluff Bake Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, I mean, I did not expect this to take the two months that it took. Um, we had a really crappy electrician that just kind of kept messing with us. Really, that was, that was the main thing was the damn electrician. Anyways, uh, so, you know, I was all set. I was like, okay, we can open, um, and was like kind of making plans for it. It was that Monday. And then they announced that all restaurants had to be takeout and deliver or takeout and curbside and delivery. And I just kind of went, well, shit. Um, but you know, so I had, I have three employees that stuck with me. Um, and so, you know, I have to think about them too. Um, two of them decided to stay home. Um, and, and one has been working with me. And I said, okay, so this is what we can do. We can figure this out. Um, We can do curbside. We can do takeout and just limit the number of people that come in the store. And I kind of just thought to myself, you know, I mean, everyone in in the world and everyone in Houston, they're they're just, I think everybody's kind of walking around shell-shocked. And there are tons of people walking around our new neighborhood. And I thought, you know what? cookies make people smile. So 
let's sell them some cookies and see what happens. So we did it. All right. So, so how's it been going? Um, it's, oh, actually you're right. We've been, we've been almost two weeks. I thought it was only a week because we, we had two Saturdays. Okay, yes, you've had wrong. two Saturdays. Yeah. 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 I've had to, um, see, I don't even know what freaking day it is. Um, you're right. Um, it's, it's been, I mean, for what's going on in the world, it's been all right. Um, we, we figured out, we finally figured out how to manage the online ordering Thanks to Aaron and Patrick Pegis for talking me off a ledge on that first day. Um, you know, they had some time under their belt with, we use the same system. So they, they gave me all the pointers. Um, and we, we've had a lot of people in the neighborhood, you know, out walking um, and, and just popping in and buying a cookie here and there. So it's been okay. I mean, it's, it's not what it, it's not what fluff is, but. It's what it is right now. Right. So you've made, you know, like you said, you only have one person working with you right now. So you've made, you've made some kind of compromises to be this version of fluff. I know you have a limited menu. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're not doing cakes. No, I mean, and I've tried to, you know, I, I tried to be nice about it and, and it's really hard because one, people don't read, even in this day and age, even in this day and time when they have lots of time in their hand on their hands, they're not reading what we're posting. They just see a picture of something. And then when I try to explain to them, it takes six people to execute fluff to its fullest. I mean, that's just a fact. It takes six people. I have one. And so she and I actually we sat down and we're like, okay, let's do you know, obviously couch potato and unicorn bait. And then for the people that don't know us, we'll do chocolate chip and snickerdoodle. And so then we decided, so we'll always have those four co cookies. And then just this week, we kind of got bored <laughs> making the same thing over and over again. So we'll just kind of start like weaving and bopping some of our, our other things. And like this weekend we had moon pies and oatmeal cream pies, you know, and, and gluten-free fluffernutters. Um, but as far as cakes in, are concerned, it's just, it's not possible. I mean, each of our cakes has four to five components to it, right? And well, Houston loves the Veruca salt. I mean, what do you want me to tell I you? I know, I know. It's a good cake and I love it too. But what happens if they say, okay, you're on lockdown tomorrow and I just made all this product to make cakes. I just have to throw it away. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'm working on a day-to-day -day basis and that's just the way I have to look at it. I can freeze cookie dough. I can freeze, uh, you know, I can't freeze buttercream. So if I make a buttercream recipe that has six pounds of butter in it and I have to throw it away tomorrow, I'm going to be really sad. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the other thing you've done is you started doing mail order cookies. Yes. Yes. I've how is that? How has that been going? <laughs> So I've only ever shipped to like my family and my friends. So I know it works. I've done it. Right. But I've never done it on this scale. Um, so we have a box of a dozen cookies and we pack them up nice and we ship them off. And so it kind of went, it, it went really well. Um, so we have to limit it. So Sunday through Wednesday, we put it up on the website at noon we put up 20 boxes and then they get shipped out the next day. Um, 
And the response has been really awesome. And I really, really appreciate it. It's a lot of freaking work. So props to the people that do this all the time. <laughs> all right. Let us let us move on to topic number two. You you want to rant about people being ugly on Yelp. And, what the and hell? I love it. Yeah. I love a good Rebecca rant, so so fire away. Well, so a friend of mine who, he, he originally closed his business and then he decided, okay, we're going to do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And he went through the same thing I did with the online ordering system. And there's so many kinks in it and glitches. And you almost have to have a dedicated person sitting in front of the computer pulling up these orders and making sure you're not pulling from the inventory of the people coming in. I mean, it's just insane what you have to flip your business model to be, right? Um, and so the they opened, um, I think he opened on Saturday. It was either Friday or Saturday. And he admits, I mean, it was a clusterfuck. He, it was for me, my first day, right? I mean, it was just, okay, just everybody stop for a minute, right? Um, and he spent a lot of time responding to emails and apologizing. And 98% of the people just wanted to support him and were understanding. And then he gets this Yelp review. And this woman is like, says, um, you know, I get to the store. They don't have my order. They only have one, you know, one product left. Um, it's not what I ordered. But I took it anyways. Um, you know, he, he didn't say anything about being offered a refund, which she was. And there were apologies across the board. And um, she said, stop being greedy and do right by your customers. No one in the restaurant industry right now is being greedy. We're just trying to pay our staff and pay our bills. No one's making any money right now. It's all coming in and it's going right back out. So for this person to go home and go on Yelp and bitch about a, a business, a local business, just trying to treat their neighbors to something that they're used to having every day, is, it's bullshit. Like, Yelp needs to just, like... Take, Yelp needs to suspend reviews until this was over because it's not fair to the businesses and those things stay up there forever. And so forever people are going to look at this and they're not going to realize it was in the middle of a pandemic that this lady is bitching about not getting what she ordered because we weren't used to, you know, we were trying to do our best with an online ordering system. I'm so angry. I was so angry. All right. Well, yeah, we should say, this whole world of to go only delivery only, whatever the vast majority of restaurants are not set up. We're not set up for that. They had this thrust upon them uh, now right. two weeks ago and it has been, so, some have made the transition more gracefully than others. And it, it seems like this, uh, this one establishment in particular, uh, we're, we're not going to name it, I guess. I don't know if he wants me to, Okay. But you know what? Actually, by telling by his response, it, it was golden bagels. Greg okay. and Greg's Greg's response was amazing. Greg was nicer in his response than I would have been because I would have told her there's a special place in hell for people like her. 
and I would have t- and I would have told her I would have asked her kindly to never set foot into my business again. Like, right? right. We'll you know, we'll muddle through without your uh, two dollars for that uh, that puppy yeah, bagel. She said she's gonna wait till she can go home to New York City to get a proper bagel. Well, okay. Well, go ahead and go. Go ahead and go. Well, don't you go know? to New York right now, maybe. But I don't know. But it's. It was like, you know, we decided, we, we did some kolaches this weekend, and I posted it online, and I said there were some up for pre-orders, and I had some woman who was in a comment thread about how it was, on, you know, I was telling them it's on the pre-orders, blah, 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 blah. Somebody went, it sold out. She responded, would have been nice to know I had to pre-order that. I was like, ma'am, you're in the same conversation where I told you to pre-order it. Then come Saturday morning, we weren't even open yet. My mom opens the door to say hello to a regular. And this woman just like berates my mom, telling her she was first in line. She was here for kolaches. She should be allowed in first. And it happened so quickly. Or I would have just turned around and said, I'm sorry, you don't speak to Mrs. Wilson that way. Like, it's a freaking kolache, people. There are plenty of them for you standing out in front of the store. Like, settle down. You know, I don't yeah. know. It's I, I mean, I this is a very stressful time for people. I think I think most people are nice. They're happy to have the restaurants in their life. Yeah. They rec- yeah. recognize the sacrifice restaurant workers are making by by working in this environment. But I, I do think the the disruption and the stress and the pressure of the situation is causing a very small group of entitled people to lash out. Well, and for me personally, and it's kind of like what I was saying earlier about our menu, every time I get an email asking me for a cake or an Oreo or something, and I have to turn around and say no, I feel like I'm failing someone. And I know that is the stupidest thing to, to think, and especially in this day and age, and I'm already doing everything I can do, but I feel like I'm letting someone down. And it's not my intention to let you down, but it's, I'm, I'm, I'm one person with one employee and, you know, same in all these other restaurants, it's mostly their salaried employees working. So there's maybe where there's normally five people on the line, maybe there's only two. And we're all just trying to put our best foot forward and do the best that we can do. But I can't help but feel personally that I'm letting people down and it makes me feel even crappier and I'm sorry. <laughs> I have never been yeah. so nice. <laughs> I would, I would offer to hug you, but I'm not allowed to get that close to you. Oh, I'll take your hug from afar. Yeah. Oh. yeah. All right. Let us do topic number three briefly. I talked about this last week. There are various programs in place for, Unemployed hospitality workers who are looking for a meal, those programs have expanded a little bit. There is still Houston Shift Meal, Mm -hmm. which is organized by uh, your friends, Jonathan Beitler and Kat Wynn. Yeah. And and I've seen them, uh, you know who's jumped in on that in a big way is uh, is, uh, Hugo Ortega and Tracy Vaught's restaurants. I I saw that both uh, Backstreet Cafe and Hugo's have been participating in that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Actually, so, I haven't, I haven't ti- had time to look too much into it, but um, I, that's awesome that Hugo's being a part of it. I love those yeah, people. I, I mean, you know, if you 
getting your getting your free meal from you know one of the best chefs in Houston. That's a that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. And then I saw that that Sean Beck, their beverage director, has found some ten dollar bottles of wine that he'll sell you at Backstreet Cafe. Oh, that's awesome. So you know, it's like you can you can still be conscientious about your budget and and have a little bit of an occasion with it. So I just want to, I want to recognize those efforts. So Uh, there are some people out there that probably could use a glass of wine right now. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Monkey's tail has their on my tab program. Uh, They're giving away like a burger and fries and a beer to people or at a, at a steep discount. Um, That's being paid for by a whole bunch of the, various liquor brands around town. So that's going on. And, and actually, you know, as, as bar food goes, their, their food is really good. So, uh, you know, shout out to monkeys. I'll just have to go buy one. People. Yeah, no, you totally should. They're, they, they do well when they're open, they do, uh, a beer, a shot and like, uh, a slice of pizza or a hot dog or a burger for eight bucks. They call it a happy meal. Wow. It's like basically my favorite thing. As as deals go, it's hard to beat. Yeah, that's amazing. And then And then you've got Real. Yeah, Real is part of a big deal. This yeah. uh restaurant workers relief program organized by Edward Lee and the James Beard Award winning. Yes, and Makers Mark. Yeah. Ed Lee is a top chef contestant, a Beard Award winning author, a, a very successful chef in Louisville, uh, Riel is in like very, very prestigious company with this. They're uh, like Chase Baca in uh, Los Angeles is doing this. Koshan in New Orleans is doing this. Uh, Eduardo Jordan in Seattle is doing this. A uh, whole bunch of people. So from four to six every day, Riel is giving away meals to people. And they also have supplies, toiletries, diapers, that kind of thing uh, for people who need it. And then they got a donation from the Deshaun Watson Foundation uh, to help them keep that going. So shout out to Houston Texans quarterback, future Patriots quarterback Deshaun Watson uh, for his contributions to that. It's it's nice. It's always nice when, you know, people like people of means sort of take care of uh, people who are struggling. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Um, I, I mean... I can't really, I mean, cookies aren't a healthy meal. <laughs> right. I would, I, I would try to figure out something, but you know, they need, they need food, you know, that, yeah, they need they, what's important. They need real food. You know, you could, you could take like some cookies over to Riel one day and they could throw them in with whatever else they're giving away. You know, Lushane would eat all of those. <laughs> I mean, that is definitely a possibility. <laughs> yes. We'll have to do it on. Uh, we'll have to do it on one of those days. We're not shipping any out. We'll take some over, but uh, yeah, we'll have to put a lock on. You know, we'll have to give them to somebody other than Ryan. That's right. Give them to give them to Nick as GM. Nick Nick seems responsible. Uh, okay. Actually, I don't trust any of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a count system on them. So we'll and then we'll find out how many uh, people actually got them. That's right. You could post about it on social media so that then when people go to get them, they'll be accountable. They'll be like, yeah, hey, we'll be yeah, like, I didn't get my cookies. First 12 people or first 10 people come get their cookies. Yes. 
We are doing something a little bit different with the news of the week this week. I have a special guest to talk about some of the provisions in the CARES Act that apply to small businesses, including restaurateurs. Adam Brackman, owner of Axelrad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Wish wish it could be better times. Yeah, I I wish we could do this in person, but of course, that is not practical right now. Well, and I and I wish we were talking about I wish we were talking about haunted houses and and filling Axelrad with a thousand people to watch Anthony Bourdain and and drinking great beer. But we will we will do all of those things some other time. The day will come. Yes. So you have been studying some of the SBA loan provisions in the CARES Act. And you have some thoughts for small business owners and restaurateurs. And so really, I'm just going to I'm just going to cue you up and let you go. What are what are you reading? What are you what are you what are you thinking? Sure. First, I knew none of this stuff before a week ago, but um, through uh, I'm in a group called Entrepreneurs Organization and they're really dialed into what's happening on the front lines. And so I've been attending a lot of conference calls uh and and reading up so what i'm going to share with you i don't know it's 100 percent fact but it's what i've gathered so far um there are several resources that are available for small business owners and a lot of the people i've talked to in houston really had no idea that they're eligible or what's available so i'm really trying to just get the word out so there are several things one every individual is going to get uh it's around twelve hundred bucks from the government in the form of a check. Soon, there are limits on that. But going deep into that, for business owners, there is there are several SBA loan programs. Um, you can go to SBA's website and find out about some of like there's a disaster loan that can happen now that will give you ten thousand dollars immediately, uh, and I believe that's going to be a grant towards helping you cover some things. And then they'll do longer-term SBA loans. But the most exciting part is specifically about this CARES Act, which what it will do is it'll, it'll originate as a loan. You'll get a loan that is equal to an amount that is equal to 2.5 times your average monthly payroll, rent, and utilities for 2019. So... Let's say that your business had an average payroll rent utilities of 100 grand, and you could apply for a loan for $250,000, 2.5 times that original amount. And they will give you a loan of that amount, and provided you use that money for your rent utilities and payroll, they will forgive that 100%. So it's basically a it basically turns the loan into a grant. Okay, so let, let, let's get a few specifics in. Is there any kind of limit to who is eligible for this? From what I understand, all business owners are eligible. They're even including nonprofits and sole proprietors. Okay. Uh, the one thing, and I'm not 100% on this, but I know that it, it'll certainly help if you've been in business for a year. If you just started, if you started after February 15th of this year, you definitely don't qualify. Before, let's say you opened up in January and you ran from January to February, I believe you can qualify for something. There's just some more caveats in how that works. Okay. And then do you know 
like when you can start applying and, and how quickly they'll get the money to you? They just approved it um, in the last couple of days. So right. the the Senate and the SBA is working through some additional definitions and clarifications. So you'll probably be able to apply in the next two weeks. You do it not through the SBA. You'll do this through an SBA lender. So you'll go to a bank. So you should be asking around for um, you know resources that are local SBA banks. Um, we're also trying to make available more resources through Axelrad. We're creating a page on Axelrad's website that will give people some summaries of what's going on. And we'll also be inviting people to different conference calls and seminars and things like that so they can learn. And then what about, because uh, a lot of restaurants have already laid off some of their staff. I mean, are they are they eligible for this? Is there some sort of provision that would allow them to rehire people? It's a great question. So specifically, this is meant to be a stimulus program. It is meant to work for people who have laid off, furloughed their employees. So somebody could have laid off 100% of their staff. And as long as you rehire them the day that you get the original loan, you'll be able to use that money towards those wages. And they don't have to be the exact same people. You just have to spend the same amount towards the same wages. But hire those same people. They've been good to you. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, certainly for the the people who were furloughed, I, w- I would hope that I would hope that they bring those other people back. But but, but I, I don't get into the specifics of telling other people how to run their businesses. Um, <laughs> keep your good keep your good people. But right. yeah, uh, someone who's on unemployment now will be able to get off of unemployment, be rehired, and then this money will be able to go to those wages. Okay. So. So obviously Axelrad has been closed now for two weeks because that's when the city closed all the bars. Uh, I mean, is that is two and a half times your monthly revenue? Is that a is that a meaningful amount of money? Is that is that something you're going to take advantage of? No, we certainly will. Yeah, two and a half times our wages, rent, and um, utilities is, is, is certainly a meaningful number. I can't think of a scenario where someone someone wouldn't want to apply. Um, we've been fortunate to where. Uh, we, we had, we've, we've kept on most of our staff, um, still making decisions day by day. But, uh, one of the things that's most challenging here is that these employees that we're talking about that are working in the industry typically don't have six months of life expenses saved up. They're typically one to two paychecks out. So this is a critical time. And as much as we can do to, to help those people, you know, we're going to do it needs to be done. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously you have a reputation for being very community minded. You were, you were a big part of, uh, well, you, you were very helpful during hurricane Harvey. I mean, you, you know, you were out there on boats, you were, you were fundraising, you were feeding people. So what else are you doing kind of to help people out? Well, you know, there's just always things people can do to help. There's uh, crowdsource rescue, which is the the group that I was working with during Harvey to help. It was created during Harvey by Matthew Marchetti to align people who needed rescue with people who had a boat. They've now pivoted to make that platform be a way to help get food to people who need food who are maybe at home that are uh, not able to get out for certain reasons and or maybe financially can't afford food. So you can go to CrowdSource Rescue and learn about that. 
Jonathan Beitler and his crew have created use and shift meal. That's trying to help the hospitality people get meals. You know, it's just, it's, it's great to see people stepping up and, and doing what they can. Absolutely. All right. Adam Brackman, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. See you on the other side of this. Absolutely, brother. All right, Becky, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Becky, for our restaurants of the week, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the restaurants we've been ordering takeout from. Uh, obviously, we're not we're not dining in any restaurants. We're not dining together anywhere. No. Uh, but I just wanted to know if you have had the chance to uh, order food from any local restaurants. Um, well, so well, we ordered. We had Pizarro's yesterday. We had a uh, you know good old New York New York style pizza. So good salad. We had a little family meal. Me, Wilson's little Jay. Um, but um, you know what the bonus? What what's been really awesome? So Matt Chow has. Uh, is it Wok Chow? Chow Wok? Chow it's Wok. Chow Wok, yes. And it's way the hell out on like Dairy Ashford. <laughs> yes, know? it's a like, Dairy Ashford Westheimer. That's so beyond my comfort zone. But on Tuesdays, he delivers to the Heights. So we've been ordering from him. So not only do we get to see our friend Matt Chow, um, but we get some uh, yummy, yummy, yummy Chinese food. So that's been really good. Um, but other than that, I think we've just really been kind of sticking with our favorites. Like we love local foods. Um, we've had the burger joint a couple times cause it's down the street. Um, uh, but yeah, really that's about it. You know, I'm kind of a creature of habit sometimes. Yes. I have, uh, yeah. Well, I will say I have known Matt for like maybe about 15 years for for reasons that are too complicated to explain in, in this format. But so he comes to Montrose on Fridays. And so each of the last two Fridays I have I have also availed myself of Chow Walk delivery. And if you're Facebook friends with Matt, you can look for his posts uh, for the delivery schedule. You can or you can add him on Facebook. I'm sure he I'm sure he would be happy to take your friend request and Absolutely. Uh, and he's got a whole schedule. It's it's you know, it's American style Chinese food. I mean, there's dozens of restaurants in the city that that serve that kind of food. I I like many of them for different reasons, but again, I've known Matt. I've known Matt for a long time, and so I've been happy to participate in that. Uh, I will say, I had a very delicious risotto with shrimp from Etoile last week. Oh, really? And I had not I- been to Etoile in. I'm going to say two or three years. And I was pleasantly surprised. It had a spare, you know, you, you think that the food is going to degrade. Like once you put it in a box and drive it somewhere, you're asking for trouble, right? It's not, it's not going to be at the yeah. same quality as if you had it hot, like fresh on a plate. But, exactly. but I will say the asparagus in the risotto were really nicely cooked. They, they kept their texture, even nice. having been driven around. And the shrimp were firm. They weren't mushy. I, I mean, I just, you know, the quality of the cooking. And, you know, it wasn't, I didn't go far from pickup to eating. You know, yeah. it probably was 
not more than 10 or 15 minutes. But I was I was really impressed with with how well that held up. And you got I got a little tomato salad with it. They gave you a couple of rolls with butter. Uh, Fancy. Had a little tartatan with it. Anyway, uh, a did, really did nice you dinner. Put, did you put on a nice suit and like pour your, put out the tablecloth? Because that's what that meal sounds like. You know, I I should have, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, but it was a good reminder that. Uh, it was a good reminder that I had not been to a twelve recently, and that I, I owe it a real visit as soon as restaurants are allowed to see people again. Yeah, and then and then of course I, you know, I'd been, and of course I went to Polly's on Thursday for the, uh, for the Asubuka special. Still one of my my favorites of their various dishes. Uh, an absolutely huge portion, uh, and of course I got a couple of of their cookies, those ice shortbread cookies. Those are good cookies. Those are very I like, good. Yeah, I like those. Um, I'm, I, I tell you, I definitely want to order from, you know, Money Cat at T-Rex. That menu looks really interesting. <sighs> yep, that is on my list, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I want to swing by Roost. I know Kevin has been working on some specials. Kevin Adairi, the chef there, yeah, has been working on some interesting specials. I haven't made it to Nobis yet. That's on my list, so... Oh yeah, my god! Got, I could finally get Nobis. You yes, because I I can never I can never get a table. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's available to you now. Nice. Uh, and, Burger, and I and I will mention. Uh, oh, Burger Chan. Burger Chan has reopened, so now yeah. is now is the time. And then um, Fijis is doing another pop up this Saturday in the parking lot of their new space, and you can order online. Um. But as far as the restaurant is, they've closed that. Oh, and we, you know what? When I went and picked up the pulled pork from Truth, I got, you know, I had to get some of my favorite tater tot casserole. There you go. You can get Truth barbecue without standing in a long line in the middle of the summer heat. So order Truth yes, barbecue, uh, too. I have been impressed with all of the barbecue joints that, that kind of rely on these lines and, and you know, that they've, They've pivoted, you know, Tejas Chocolate up in Tomball has pivoted. Uh, Regal's Barbecue is sending these really compelling, like, deeply personal emails out every day with kind of how they're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ronnie Killen has started doing drive-through pop-ups, both at his future location in the Heights. Well, not in the Heights, off of Washington Avenue, uh, where you just, like, you pull up and you tell them what you want and they put it in your car. Uh, And also in the Woodlands. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of creativity going on, especially in the I mean, on all restaurants across the city. But but shout out to the barbecue community for for pivoting and figuring some of this stuff out. It, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing to see all the it's amazing to see all of them do what they're doing. And, you know, give them a break, people. Be nice. Right. Yeah. All right. Becky, thank you very much. Thank you. It was an exciting thing to look forward to today. <laughs> I will, uh, I'm, I'm coming for Starcross Lovers this week. I'll see you soon. Oh, we don't have any this week. Oh, no. No. I'm getting there. I'm, I'll get it back on the production list. All I right. I promise. But we're, we're, we're working on it. I'll post the menu this week. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks, you guys. See you soon. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined this week by the general manager of Houston Wine Merchant. 
He is a veteran of several notable Houston restaurants. Antonio Gianola, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Great Thanks to be for here. doing this. I, I want to talk about kind of how you're handling our current situation, but I also want to talk about kind of your career and, and your your life in Houston restaurants because you've had a you've had a pretty good one. Why don't we just kind of start at the beginning? How did you become interested in wine? <laughs> uh, well, it depends. If you believe my mother, it's as a toddler, I climbed on top of the dinner table and drank the entire bottle of wine and then uh, tried to go to sleep. Or uh, I think it, <laughs> uh, I think really it began uh, when I was in high school. My best friend and his family were from Chile, and they had wine on the dinner table every day. And it was something I got to to have and have frequently. And never a lot, but, you know, quarter of a glass to half a glass. And by the time I was a senior in high school, maybe a glass with dinner. Um, and it really helped show me that wine and food belong together. And uh, years later, as I uh, was working in medical uh, clinics for quite a while, the new physicians group came in and enabled everybody to uh, get a new job. And I decided to go back to college. And I was going to work at a restaurant for a while as we were between semesters. And uh, the restaurant gained a sommelier, Tony McClung. Uh, and I harangued him with questions. I borrowed books. I convinced him he needed help counting bottles and moving cases. And in return, I was incessant and just questions. And when he left the restaurant, I took over the program. And uh, it's hard to believe, but it's been almost 25 years now. Which which uh, restaurant was that? That was a Sierra Grill on Montrose. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, there was, uh, that's where I started. That was, wait, that was, uh, was that the one that was... Charlie Watkins. Was that the one that, okay, yeah, yeah, south of uh, south of fifty nine, right? South like, of fifty nine. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now that physical space is a eye doctor's office. <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's um, a, the world's crazy. All right. But so I was there. Where did you, go ahead? I was gonna say I was there for five and a half years, and uh, after that, I went to the Rainbow Lodge for about a year, and then I left the Rainbow Lodge to be the first major D in Sommelier DeMarco. And that's where I feel I really kind of blossomed and hit my stride. And I was the general manager of Sommelier and got to travel to Italy every year. And it really, my grandfather being from Italy, it really helped kind of make me feel like I was in touch with some of my heritage that I had never really been able to explore very much or had never explored. And uh, after five years, five and a half years, I left there to become partners with Chris Shepard at Catalan at Washington and TC Jester. I think it was there four and a half years. I think, you know, I wasn't in the uh, the tax bracket to be going to DeMarco back in the day, but I, <laughs> uh, I, I certainly became aware of you at, at Catalan. I mean, well, I, I guess talk about, I mean, talk about either one of those. I mean, DeMarco was, you know, I mean, arguably when you were there, arguably the best restaurant in Houston. What was it like building a wine program at, at a restaurant like that? It was really intimidating. I mean, I felt I knew a fair amount about wine, but when I joined Marco, I only knew the rudimentary basics about Italian wine, and it took me almost a year of reading, studying, only buying and selling, drinking Italian wines for it to feel like it start to click. And it was really the first trip to Italy almost a year later for my very first Vin Italy, where it really just all sunk in and made sense to me. And as much as I love Italy, it is one of the most confusing and confounding countries in the world to learn. <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason, or just because something works in one region doesn't mean the next one has any relative bearing on that. So it's intimidating. 
but it was exciting. And at the same time, Marco was cooking and I was learning how the regional food and wines go together. And then going to Italy and seeing them together was, I mean, things that Marco told me about in the kitchen, I'd go to a restaurant in Italy, they're doing almost the exact thing. And I thought, ah, you know, usually you, you hear certain things about food and I always take it with a grain of salt, but then you see it, it's exactly the same. It made me really proud to be a part of it. And that whole growth was just fantastic. All right. So after DeMarco, you joined up with Chris. What yes. about what about that made it seem like the right decision at the time? It was really exciting. It was a different uh, feel. Uh, Grant and Charles from Ibiza had approached me to, um, well, it, actually, Chris Shepard, uh, I ended up having lunch with Chris uh, on my birthday at our favorite restaurant at the time. And, um, he kind of pitched what he was doing with Catalan, and it seemed very exciting. And uh, the next day I called him up and said, let's talk about it. And then I went back to Grant and Charles and said, Hey, I appreciate you talking to me about possibility of coming to Ibiza, but I want to be a part of what Chris is doing. Okay. Because so... they were, they were backing Chris and Chris was going to be the wine guy and chef at Catalan. Um, but I came in to do the wine portion and run the front of the house. And it was really, it was, it was a whole, it was a culmination of everything I learned up to that point and putting it into action. Right. And I guess Catalan had this kind of vaguely sort of Spanish, you know, idea when it first opened, but Chris threw that out the window pretty fast. Well, we, we, we both thought it would be substantially more Spanish than it was going to be. And then uh, with a preliminary menu and preliminary wine list, we were told in no uncertain terms that we are not attempting to be a true Spanish restaurant. And so we had to completely move everything around and try and cancel orders and get a new, uh, new focus for the wine list, for the kitchen. And in so doing it, it became, I mean, Chris's passion is, is farmers and it became a local seasonal restaurant. And then I tried to focus on independent family owned wineries as much as possible to show showcase kind of the wine side of what he was doing for the farmers. Right. I mean, you, you'd spent five years specializing in Italian wines. I mean, did you, did you find yourself like looking more towards domestic producers or, or other countries to, to put that together? Uh, we did a, a little bit of everything and it was uh, <laughs> coming out of a full Italian world for five years. I had, uh, I had to play catch up with everything else that happened in the, in the world in the last five years because I was so singular focused. Um, most of, we did have a lot of domestic wines, but I find because I think probably at my time at DeMarco that I wanted to have more of the old world flavor in the wines. And it really took quite a bit of time for me to come back and taste something in the domestic vein and then taste something European and be able to flip back and forth and appreciate them both for what they are. Because it's hard to completely change gears and think about it. I mean, you almost have to be a little schizophrenic as a taster to jump back and forth in styles. Well, I, I know you told me once that you keep extensive records of every wine you've ever tasted. Yes. Every wine I've tasted professionally, I have in my tasting books and I have them going back through, I think, 01. And I have them all in chronological order in my house. And strangely, I actually go back and reference some of the old ones every now and then. All right. So, so how many, how many books do you have now or how many books have you compiled? <laughs> uh, well, nowadays I do about three or four in a year. Uh, when I was at DeMarco, I did probably three books a year. I probably have 40 some odd books. Wow. 
I mean, I've, do you I've never counted them? But it, it it takes an obsessive amount of space on the bookshelf. <laughs> do you are they are they indexed somehow? I mean, how do you how do you know what to find? So I have them all listed chronologically, and at the be, beginning of every book, it has the beginning and end dates, and then I have things broken down by uh, distributor and then pricing. Um, and then I go back through after everything's done and highlight in a certain fashion to draw my eyes to certain things so that it makes it easier for me to find wines I've tasted in the past. All right. So, so eventually you left Catalan. Did you go straight to wine merchant after that? No, I worked uh, for a broker and was a agent for a number of different wineries and um, importers at the time. And really it's fascinating. The wine business is restaurants, retail or distribution importation. And I got to work in the distribution importation side and then coming to retail, I've actually kind of worked my way around the circle and it really helped me appreciate what the distributor and importer did because everything I thought that happened and how it happened was completely not the way it worked. Okay. What do you mean? Well, I mean, as a restaurant wine buyer, you imagine that you talk to an importer and you don't really see what goes on behind the curtain. And then you talk to a distributor and you know, you're always frustrated that, Something you ordered a special order does not arriving soon enough. But then once you start dealing with the importer and you realize, okay, this is coming from Europe and this is consolidating. And then putting it in a container with a thousand other cases just coming to Texas or just coming to New York and then to another container. You understand it takes a lot more time than you anticipated. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's not like it's going, it's not like it's getting uh, air freighted on a direct freight from Paris or whatever straight to Houston. Yeah, I, I just had no frame of reference. So I figured... I ordered things. Why aren't they here two months later? What's going on? <laughs> right. All right. So, all right. So, you worked in the in the distribution and importation side for a little bit. When did you When did you go to Wine Merchant? I joined uh, Scott and Houston Wine Merchant in March of 2013. So it was already an established shop when you joined them. Oh yeah, he opened uh, originally in 1984. So, so what would you say? I mean, even in the the seven years you've been there, what would you say has been sort of the biggest change in the way people drink wine then versus the way they drink it now? I think the ascendancy of rosé was was something I think as wine buyers we always want people to do, but it was really fascinating to see people become more and more intrigued with all the different styles of rosés that were available. Uh, Some things never stop, like the domestic Cabernet shows no sign of slowing down. Champagnes and the people moving to a drier style of champagne is really something that's come about the last couple of years pretty diligently. Would you would you say that overall we're collectively smarter about the wines we drink? I think the wine consumer, for the most part, is a really savvy consumer. I mean, this is an amazing time to be a wine consumer. The overall quality is off the charts. And when I started, you would taste 10 wines and three or four were just outright not good. And now you have to really look around to find things that are poorly made. I, I find that strangely comforting. <laughs> well, it also means that, you know, with everybody drinking wine, pricing is a little higher. But, you know, I, I, I will keep the overall quality. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you guys have basically everything from, you know, table wine to like the, you know, stuff that people sell her for years and drink on very special occasions. I mean, what would you say is kind of the price point that, that most people are looking for on a typical visit? 
well, before the uh, the pandemic, I would say that people were uh, regularly in the kind of thirty to seventy range was kind of the the sweet spot of what people were looking for. Uh, nowadays, with everything going on, I think people are looking for wines that they don't have to sell her and they're drinking them all. Uh, most of what's the is kind of in the twenty to thirty five range is tending to to be the biggest movers right now. Yeah, I was I was gonna ask you about that. I mean, I. I have the sense that people, you know, since they're not going to restaurants and they can't go to bars, um, have you seen an an uptick in your business from people who just want like the, just want to drink from home? Yeah, definitely. There's uh, people instead of buying a bottle or two or buying half a case to a case. And a lot of people are, even with their cases, you know, they're, um, how do you say it? Well, they're trying to make sure that, hey, since we're having date night at home now, let me get a special bottle for date night. And then that'll be the night that we get food from our favorite restaurant or the place that we would have gone on date night. Are people are people calling you and saying something like, well, I'm going to order this dish from a certain restaurant and asking for sort of pairing suggestions? Yeah, they are. And it's really flattering when they, when they do that. And then how are you, I mean, how are you and the employees kind of handling all the social distancing and the, the different restrictions? Well, uh, last week we started moving to exclusive curbside and delivery and then asking guests not to enter the store um, just to make sure that we are protecting them and that our, our staff is being protected. Being a small store, I mean, if we have one person get sick, it, it takes the whole store. But uh, people have been very nice and understanding and appreciative of the curbside and they just call us and let us know they're outside and we bring the box out, uh, box or bottles or whatever they've ordered out to them and place it in the car and say, thank you and give them the receipt and off we go. They don't, they don't miss the, uh, the ability to kind of browse the selection or I guess, I guess they can call I, first, right? That's the, that's, yes. that's been the big pivot. They can call first and the majority of our, uh, inventory is available on the website so they can peruse first and get an idea of what they're looking for. Or some people just call up and say, uh, since we keep a purchase history for for guests that look through my transaction history and I feel like drinking Rhone wines under $35 and see the styles that I like and just put together half a case or case for me. It's really flattering when they let give you that trust to be able to say, you know what I like, just take care of me. All right. And then I have to ask you about one other. You also sell spirits at Houston Wine Merchant. I know that's not your specific area of expertise, but uh, I have to ask you about the whiskey raffles. I mean, you, I guess once a quarter, you guys provide people with the opportunity to purchase at retail some of the stuff that's very difficult to get their hands on. I mean, what are those like? Because the pictures always look like it's a total madhouse. <laughs> uh, it's not so bad. People are, are pretty nice and uh, respectful of other people's uh, space. And um, But I mean, we do them every other month. Unfortunately, we had to cancel this month because of, uh, you know, we didn't want to ask people to be so crowded in a room with everything that was upcoming. Um, but we have anywhere from kind of 20 ish bottles that we 15 to 20 bottles we put out. It's a right to purchase raffle. So once their number's called, they can purchase any one bottle on the counter and then we draw the next number and all the way through. It's good over in about 15, 20 minutes. Are you, uh, are you ever, are, are you surprised by this like whiskey boom? Because every now and then I sort of ruminate over the fact that I used to be able to pick up a bottle of Blanton's on a shelf anytime I wanted it. And now, you know, people will, will knife each other essentially for, for the chance to get one. 
It it does astound me that the bourbon uh, market and craze shows no signs of abating. Um, I mean, I think it's great that people have discovered bourbon, and it's, I mean, it's going to drive the overall quality of bourbon up. But at the same time, I mean, everybody's going to obsess over whatever they want. Um, I used to like bourbon more than some other things, but I've had to move along because it's hard to justify buying a bottle for myself that somebody else is going to make their week or month when I would just enjoy it, but it's going to completely change somebody's uh, cellar to have a special bottle. But yeah, it would be great to have Blanton's at the house. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what have you, what spirit have you pivoted to? I've personally moved to rum. Okay. My wife liked rum more than bourbon, and so every time I bought myself a bottle of bourbon and bought no rum, I was asked why I only bought something for myself. And so it also put an end to that, because anytime I buy rum, it's for the both of us. And then you guys have a pretty good selection of agave spirits, too, both tequila and mezcal. Correct. Yes. we uh, Everett handles our spirits buying, and so he gets to delve into idiosyncrasies of of all the different spirits and regions. A lot of the buying is separated out so we can all specialize in certain things. All right. So what are so what are you responsible for buying? Obviously, the Italian wine. Yes, I buy for Italy, Germany, France, and Austria. So, so what are you just absolutely loving right now? Like, give us a couple of new additions to your selection. Uh, well, actually, during this whole time we're we're off earlier. I I've been sadly, lovely, and sadly drinking through all the Burgundy I have at the house. Um, so. Most of the everyday wine of any category is is gone, and everything is just very nice special occasion bottles now. But uh, um, let's see, I've been what what the thing I'm probably most jazzed about that came in recently is uh, let's see, there's a Bourgogne from uh, Domaine Arlo, uh, and it's called Ronde Seville, and it was a village level parcel um, that was labeled as Gevray Chambertin, and sadly, after the Domaine bought it a couple years later. They reclassified it as Borgogna, and I love the fact that it drinks like a $70 bottle, but for $40. And then uh, for Italy, there's a Barrio Colto Bueno Chianti Classico Reserva 2015 that we just got in that is just on fire in the way it drinks. Very good. Antonio, that brings me to the end of my questions, unless there's uh, some aspect of, of life at Wine Merchant that you want to discuss. Um, well, I, w- I would like to say that we are locally owned and operated, and uh, we have several different buyers that get to specialize in certain uh, things, and I don't know. Oh, I, I can't. Uh, well, well yeah. let me let me let me just ask you about one other thing. Actually, there, sure. there's been kind of an explosion in wine shops over the last couple of years. I mean, you may have had some of that space to yourself, but but just in the last you know couple of years, there's been a whole bunch of new additions. I mean, is it? Do you welcome that, or do you do you feel pressure from that, or 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 what's it like, kind of? in this more crowded marketplace? Um, I don't feel like the marketplace is really crowded. The What we do and how we offer service is really what, unlike what anybody else is offering, and I think it really makes us stand out. And ultimately, the more you know, quality wine shops are available, it just brings the entire industry up. So what we may have somebody come into us today. On Thursday, they may go visit somebody else. But ultimately, I think there's enough wine cons- quality wine consumers that there's space for everyone to thrive. So, you know, I always, I always end these uh, interviews with something I call the lightning round. Uh, five easy <laughs> questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Uh, Antonio, what is your favorite cookbook? Uh, Silver Spoon. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? 
Uh, yes, on the 90210 tour. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Fast food guilty pleasure. Um, with a drive-thru. I would say uh, Whataburger. Very uh, good. Extra lettuce, extra pickles. And then, uh, do you have a favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I don't. I've gotten to meet several of them, but uh, most of the sports that people are into, I'm not the sports that I really follow. So, fair yeah. enough. And then, <laughs> and then finally, when you when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what is your uh, what is your go to order? It depends. If it's a Neapolitan style pizza, I go for margarita. It's the benchmark in which you judge. And then also whether the pizza's cut or not cut, if it's Neapolitan style, is a distinctive judge also. Uh, Antonio, give us the website for Houston Wine Merchant. Houston Wine Merchant's website is houstonwines.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for calling. Great talking with you. Thank you, Antonio. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.